Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We've made it. Through the whole summer, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, and today we finish up our sermon series on the commandments. Vicar will preach on the conclusion to the commandments next week. But today we'll look at the Ninth and Tenth Commandments, commandments all about coveting. All along, as we've looked at these commandments, we've talked about what is God protecting with each one of these commandments. And today we'll see that what God is protecting is, he's protecting us from our thoughts. Two commandments, two different commandments about how we think. Well, consider this, have you ever tried to control your thoughts? To try and stop yourself from thinking things that you don't want to think about? It's hard, isn't it? Our minds find ways to wander into places we don't want them to go so easily. Yes, our thoughts can cause us much trouble and that's what Jesus is trying to encourage us today to keep our thoughts in line with his word and his will. A couple of minutes ago, you heard Vicar read from Romans chapter 7 where he talked about how the law awakens in us a desire to sin. Let me illustrate that just for a moment for you. I, try, I was going to try it this morning and then I decided against it. I was going to put a sign on the railing as you came up that said wet paint just to see how many people would actually touch it to see how wet it really was. Isn't that what a sign wet paint does? Doesn't it make you wonder, should I just try just to see if it's really that wet? Yeah, it awakens in us a desire to sin. That's what a command does. That's what the law does. I may have shared this story with some of you before. It's one of those stories that I heard years ago that still boggles my mind. But there was a middle school teacher in a Christian school who wanted to illustrate to his students what it meant that the law awakens in us a desire to sin. So he put a sign up in the boys' bathroom Right above the urinals, it simply said this, do not eat the urinal cakes. Okay, let's back up just for a second because about half of the people sitting in here may have never seen a urinal cake before, but it's on the board right there. That's what it actually looks like. It looks like a little hockey puck that gets put in boys' urinals, urinals in men's bathrooms for the odor, right? I don't know if he thought boy, this is really a bad idea. Or if he just thought there's no way anyone would ever do that. But he said in less than 24 hours, there was a bite out of one of the urinal cakes. Yeah, the law awakens in us desire to sin. If God tells us not to do something, there's a part of you and a part of me that says, huh, why not? What am I missing out on if I don't do this? Yes, the law awakens in us a desire to sin. And that's really at the heart of the ninth and 10th commandments. That's what covening is all about. Our thoughts run after the things that God knows will hurt us. And so he's trying to keep us from harming ourselves. Today, as we review the ninth and 10th commandments, I want to do so on the basis of a story from the Old Testament, from 1 Kings chapter 21, a story from the history of the people of Israel. Follow along as I read 1 Kings 21. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, 
Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard. Or, if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry, because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. As we take a look at this story today, it's how we'll review what coveting is all about in the ninth and 10th commandments. I know it's two commandments today, and Vicar read them a little bit earlier in Exodus 17, but could I invite you to recite along with me the ninth and 10th commandments, and we'll also uh, read together Luther's explanation to those two commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or obtain it by a show of right but do all we can to help him keep it. And then the 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, workers, animals, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not force or entice away our neighbor's spouse, workers, or animals, but urge them to stay and do their duty. So we take a look at these two commandments on the basis of 1 Kings 21. What we want to discover today is what coveting creates. And as we think about that, first we'll take note of the fact that sinful thoughts can easily become sinful actions. And then secondly, that it's only Jesus, only Jesus who gives true contentment. The events of the text occur in Jezreel, and I know this map isn't the best, but the little inset here shows you where the Dead Sea is, the Jordan River leading up to the Sea of Galilee. There's the Sea of Galilee there. Jezreel is right here. It's in this valley called the Valley of Jezreel, and it was a very fertile place to grow crops, grapes and other things as well. As a matter of fact, the name Jezreel in Hebrew means God will sow. Here in the place where Ahab had his summer palace, Jezreel, that town was on a hill overlooking the entire plain below, that fertile area. And so as Ahab looked out from his palace, he noticed a plot of land that belonged to Naboth that was very appealing to him. And he wanted it. So the first question I guess we have to ask ourselves this morning was, was that wrong? Was it wrong for Ahab to want something? Was his wanting of, of Naboth's vineyard somehow sinful? The answer is no. Wanting something wasn't sinful. As a matter of fact, you can see that in the offer that, Naboth, or that Ahab makes to Naboth. He wanted it because of its location right next to his palace, right? And isn't that the first three rules of real estate? Location, location, location. And so that's exactly what Ahab thought. Well, it's right here. I want it. I'm going to make you an offer that says, yes, I want to be fair. He says, I'll give you another one that's even better than the one that you have, or I'll pay you whatever you think the right price is. But Naboth refused. Did you hear his reason? The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. 
I guess a little explanation is in order here to understand what Naboth is saying. When the people of Israel first moved into the promised land, the land that they had waited hundreds of years to inhabit, God assigned to each family a plot of land. God was so serious about keeping that land with each family unit that he made provisions for how to do so. They're found in Leviticus chapter 25. What Naboth is saying is, this is the spot. This is the place that's supposed to pass down from generation to generation. Our place of home in this land that God has promised. Our inheritance in this holy land. So Naboth's refusal was about a little bit more than just not wanting to sell his property. Naboth not only took seriously the inheritance that God had given him, he knew that it was God's plan for him to hold on to that land. And so he refused to sell it to Naboth. I was thinking about that a little bit this week and I thought that brought out a pretty good truth for us to think about this morning. That our inheritance, our inheritance in heaven is too valuable to give up. We know how easy it is to chase after the things of this world, but there's nothing more valuable than what God has already won for us. Jesus tells us that he's preparing a room for us there in the mansions of heaven. Remember, that's your goal. Remember the value that your home has in heaven and do whatever it takes to hold on to that blessing from God. Were you surprised a little bit by King Ahab's reaction? I mean, after all, he's a grown man. And yet, you see a lot of little child in Ahab, don't you? Laying on his bed, sulking. I picture him like kicking his feet against the mattress, right? He's so angry that he refuses to even eat anything. Surprised he didn't hold his breath or something like that until he got his way. He sulked about the fact that Naboth would not sell him the vineyard. Pretty easy to see, isn't it? It's at this point that Ahab's wanting of the vineyard crosses the line. This is what the Bible would call coveting. Coveting, to give it a a definition, is to want something that God does not want us to have. You see, again, it's not wrong to want things. It's not wrong to pursue things. It becomes wrong when God says, this is not in my plans for you. And so Ahab's coveting demonstrates how coveting so easily creates other sins in our hearts and minds. You see, when God makes clear that there's something that he doesn't want us to have and we obsess about it, we continue to pursue it, that's when coveting spills over into our words and our actions. It's when we become willing to look past some of other, God's other commandments so that we get what we want. I didn't read it this morning, but if you'd like to read it for yourself or maybe you remember what happens in the story of Naboth's vineyard, Queen Jezebel, King Ahab's wicked wife, she tells Ahab, no problem, I can get you the vineyard. Do you remember what she did? She first raised up some false witnesses against him to say that he had cursed God and the king. And then when the false witnesses gave testimony, they literally put Naboth to death. They stoned him to death. And that was when Ahab came in and took possession of the vineyard that was not his own. Do you see it? Do you see how Ahab's covetous thoughts, how his covetous heart led to other sins? 
If you think back to the commandments that we covered, I think you can make a pretty good case that many of those other commandments were broken in Ahab and Jezebel's actions. They certainly didn't fear, love, and trust in God above all things, commandment one. As false testimony was given, did those who give false testimony do so in the name of God? Did they misuse the name of the Lord their God? Murder, the fifth commandment, they had Naboth put to death. Stealing, the seventh commandment, they certainly took something that didn't belong to them. The eighth commandment with giving false testimony, that's what coveting creates. You see, what we think about, what we obsess about, what becomes the focus of our hearts and our minds can easily lead into our actions. James describes this so well in his epistle, James chapter 1. He wrote this, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Something so innocent that starts simply in our thoughts, in our hearts, and in our minds can easily become not just dangerous, but destructive. That's why God gives us the two commandments of the ninth and tenth commandment to protect our thoughts and keep us close to him. That leads to truth number two this morning. We want to guard our hearts so our thoughts and actions honor God. Our thoughts matter. I know it doesn't always seem that way. After all, I can't look out this morning and tell you what you covet. I can't see into your heart. I don't know what kind of sins of coveting might pop up in your hearts and lives. Nor can you look to the front this morning and say, yep, I bet pastor covets that. But don't we know? Don't we know our own hearts and our own heads, our own minds, the things that become important to us, the things that we sometimes make more important to us than God? And how easy it is for those thoughts to get away from us. That's why we need a savior from sin. All right, every once in a while I have to put something on the board that just shows how old I really am. But some of you sitting out there might remember the day where in the mail you got the Sears catalog. Raise your hand if you remember the Sears catalog. Okay, quite a few still remember the Sears catalog. That's good. All right. It's so, I suppose it was like the eBay of its day or Amazon, something like that. But you know what I remember? And I bet some of you remember doing this too. I remember sitting down, November, December, whatever it was, and getting to the toy section in the Sears catalog. And I remember paging through the Sears catalog and thinking, I didn't even know I wanted that toy before I saw the magazine. I didn't even know it existed. And yet, simply by paging through a magazine like that, it awakened in me again a desire for things I probably didn't need. It hasn't changed. Maybe it's not the Sears catalog, but maybe shopping on Amazon or looking around at stores, going through a mall. There's so many ways, isn't there, that it's easy for us to create this idea that somehow contentment can be found in something outside of the love of our Savior. That somehow if I really want to find happiness in this life, I can find it in the things of this world. Thanks be to God that we don't have to find our fulfillment in the things of this life that only disappoint, but in our Savior Jesus. You see, that's what the ninth and 10th commandments really are about, aren't they? They teach us about contentment, about recognizing the blessings we do have and thanking God for those blessings rather than pursuing the things that God hasn't given us. 
I want to clarify one thing so that you don't misunderstand. It's not wrong to ask. If there's something that you think is important in your life, it is certainly not wrong to ask God for them, for those things. And God invites us to do so, to come to him about anything and everything. And so we can keep those prayers coming. It's when we recognize that maybe that isn't God's will for our lives and we continue to go after something when it can become a problem. How easily those things happen, that that we can make something a bigger deal in our minds than it actually should be. I know you probably find this trouble in your life too, but my biggest problem is I find myself comparing my life to the life of others. I look, about, I look at what they have that I don't rather than what I have and they don't and it's easy, isn't it, to think about clothing, homes, cars, whatever and think, my life would be so much happier if I only had that. And I know this has been a sin since Adam and Eve fell all the way back in the garden. I mean, isn't that what Satan did? He made them covet the fruit of the tree But I think we live in an age today where coveting is made even easier by social media. It's not hard to look at somebody's Instagram account or a TikTok page or whatever it is and think, I'm learning so much about what I don't have. Wish, I think my life would be so much happier. I think God, I see God's wisdom in the bookends that he made in the commandments. You all go all the way back to that first commandment where God said, You shall have no other gods before me. We know that that if we could keep that first commandment, we would keep all of the others. Because really breaking any of the other commandments is telling God we don't fear, love, and trust in him above all things. Think about the bookend on this side of the commandments, the ninth and tenth commandments about coveting. If we could somehow protect our thoughts, if we could somehow keep our thoughts pure, wouldn't that take care of the obedience of all of the other commandments as well? but we can't. We fail. It's been tough this summer to go through the Ten Commandments for me because I realize just how far short of God's glory I fall. But we have help. That's what's so amazing about our God. Yes, the law is there to tell you if you could do all of these things, you would live. But Jesus decided to come to this earth to take our place to live what we couldn't. The writer to the Hebrews says, in Jesus we have one who is tempted in every way just as we are. Don't you find comfort in that? That Jesus knows exactly what you're going through? That Jesus knows our sinful weaknesses? That he knows that our thoughts can't stay pure and holy? But it's not just that Jesus can empathize with us. He went even further. Jesus was without sin. That's what the writer to the Hebrews tells us. Not one time. Can you imagine living the years that Jesus lived in this life and not one time did a sinful thought cross his mind? Not one time, though he had no place to lay his head, did he covet somebody else's possessions? And you know why? He lived that perfection for you. Jesus gives us His holiness. That life without sin is credited to you. You're provided with the holiness that God wants you to have and your sin has been taken away. It's been paid for by your Savior Jesus. You see, ultimately, that's the secret 
to contentment. That's the secret to keeping our thoughts pure is first and foremost thinking about Jesus and what he has accomplished in our place. That's the final truth today. Truth number three, the secret to contentment is found through faith in Jesus. The one who lived for you and died for you and was raised again to life, he has a place waiting for you with him in the perfect joy of heaven. The Apostle Paul talked about this secret of contentment in his letter to the Philippians in Philippians 4. He wrote this, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's Jesus. It's Jesus' payment for your sins. It's Jesus' love for you that sent him to a cross. It's Jesus who fills us with peace and joy and contentment as we look ahead to the perfect joy of a life with him forever in heaven. Takeaways from our ninth and 10th commandments today. Number one, the ninth and 10th commandments urge us to keep our thoughts pure. We know how easy it is for our thoughts to get away from us and how easy it is for those thoughts to become words and actions. Number two, coveting happens when we are dissatisfied with our lives. Think in these terms. Rather than thinking about what we don't have, what we would really like, what we think would make us happy, Concentrate on the things that you do have. Not just the physical blessings from God, but even more the spiritual blessings of forgiveness and life. And that's number three. We have everything we need in Jesus, whose thoughts were always holy and who died to save us. Yes, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not easy, is it, guarding our thoughts? I know people have said this, you are what you eat, but maybe we could just as easily say you are what you think. Don't our thoughts so easily become what we think about, what we do, what we talk about? Yeah, what, what's in our minds tends to be what's in our lives. I think that's why the Apostle Paul wrote these words in that same chapter, Philippians chapter 4, to the people in that city of Philippi when he wrote, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's what the ninth and 10th commandments want for us too. To be guarding our thoughts, to be thinking about what our Savior is and look at that list again. Isn't that Jesus? Isn't he the perfect fulfillment of all of those things? And he was that perfect fulfillment and is that perfect fulfillment for you. And that Savior Jesus, he's calling you and leading you home to perfect contentment in the joys of heaven with him. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.